Hey, everybody. It's Dave Chang here. I have a memoir out called Eat a Peach. It was released on September 8th, so it just came out. I would love it if you would order the book, listen to it on audiobooks. I narrate the audiobook. It took me, I don't know how many hours, 24 hours to get the takes right. Not easy to do. But uh, I wrote this book with Gabe Ula, Chris Ying, who you hear on this podcast a lot, helped edit it quite a bit. We've been working on this for almost four years. I'm uh, incredibly nervous that it's out there, but uh, it talks about a lot of different things. If you haven't listened to the opening, pre-opening diaries of Eat a Peach, highly encourage you to check that out. It gives you some insight. Shameless plug, but uh, you can buy it at your independent retailers, bookstores, and online at any place that sells books. Eat a Peach and by Clarkson Potter, a random house imprint. Uh, appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for the support. means so much. Thank you. the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. We have an episode of Bad Movie Club with Chris Ying, as always, and a three-peat guest, the the most repeat guest we've ever had, Mm -hmm. Eddie Huang. (laughs) Thank you for having me, Dave. Thank you for having me, Chris. Excited to be back. I loved our time together. I am. I keep on telling you every time you post shit on Instagram how mad I am at you because you're the only person having a fun time in the world, <laughs> uh, eating the most amazing food in Taipei, and uh, I hate you very much because of that. Because <laughs> it sucks. It sucks watching that you can have a great life outside of America. <laughs> yeah, I think I posted this platter of Burmese and Yunnan food, yep, and you yep. were like, bro. And I was like, right, I'm sorry. That was cool. <laughs> that that one went too far. Yeah, I'm just too like, far. I, I, it's too much. <laughs> it's too much. It's just too much. Um, you guys look great, though. Great skin. You're glowing. Everybody looks good. Oh, the glow. We got the glow. We got the glow. Yeah. So I asked Eddie because I think he'd be the appropriate guest for this movie that we haven't told anybody that we were doing, The Last Dragon, a black martial arts movie inspired by Bruce Lee that came out, I think, 1984. I didn't even check any of the IMDb shit because I know it so well. Um, Yeah. I'm just going to state this. Growing up as a kid, I was probably like five or six. This is probably my favorite movie up until like the age of like 18. Absolutely. This and coming to America was it for me. But man, like this movie is so good. And shout out to Barry Gordy, the Motown producing legend who had the vision to make this unbelievable movie. And, you know, you have to really watch the whole thing to understand the respect it has for both Chinese American culture and black culture, because like if you just watch the first 10 minutes, you can be like, fuck this. This is racist as fuck if you're Asian. But it's actually not. It is a reversal of roles. It's subversive. It's brilliant. It's highly entertaining. I made my wife watch it, and she, I know it's good. You know why? She fucking hates it. <laughs> That's what I know. It's a perfect bad movie club review, and I'm... Beyond excited to talk about this. If you haven't seen it, 
I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to explain why we're talking about this movie. Yeah, it is the, like the defining film of my childhood, this film and Coming to America. Like I got my name Eddie from Coming to America because I started to imitate Eddie Murphy. But Last Dragon was literally the first time besides Wu-Tang where, well, well this was before Wu-Tang. That me and my brothers were like, yo, other people fuck with Chinese culture. Like, this is, this is ill. And the other thing is, is that it is quintessentially American. There, there's no other film that could happen. This film could not happen anywhere but America. Perhaps maybe Jamaica, right? I could mm -hmm. see it happening in Jamaica, maybe in Toronto, but it's very quintessentially American and very New York. Like, my favorite parts of it are kind of like the downtown New York elements that are, are kind of like brought along for the journey. Um, guys, I have a confession. I, um, I was 100% sure that I had seen all martial arts movies with the word dragon in it from the 1980s and 90s period. And I, I, I read Wait, to this. You haven't seen this? I turned it on two days ago and You're I was like, 40 year old virgin. You're I was the 40 year old virgin. <laughs> Holy oh shit. my god! <laughs> I turned it on two days ago, and I was like, "I have never seen this. I have no idea what's happening Bro, whatsoever." Did you did you not watch WWF? Because this always came on after WWF. Yeah, like dude. that's how what's I was wrong with you? I just fuck. I, I missed it entirely. But let me. But in my defense, I feel like I'm Paul Rudd and <laughs> Seth Rogen is Eddie Wong. <laughs> And you're Steve Carell. You know, and I just when you're, can't even believe my ears right now. What the fuck you know, is going on? When you're with a woman and it's like a bag of sand. Do um, you even eat ass? Like, have you tried eating ass? <laughs> you are, if you tell me now that you've never eaten ass, like, I'm going to cancel this pie. Like, you need to go. I loved it so much. I watched it twice in, in the last 36 hours. So oh, that's wow. my only defense is I had okay. not seen it. I thought I had, you know, you know what? There, there's no. I'm not trying to like deal with this uh, new woke version of Chris right now. <laughs> uh, shame on you! Shame on you! And shame on you! Like I just, I'm so. It's the weirdest feeling of disappointment and rage I think I've ever expressed towards anyone in my life. I cannot believe that you've never seen maybe the ultimate movie of Asian American expression in. Cinematic yeah. history. What the fuck is wrong with you? Also, like, 80s, too. It's like everything 80s is in there. Yeah. It's, it's, this is uh, fucked up, Chris. I, I agree. I agree. Listen, I wanted to get this. I wanted to get it off my chest right at the also, beginning. Also, are you I in a Holiday Inn Express? Shit. Your crib looks like a fucking Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> I'm in my in-law's guest room, which is uh, Holiday Inn Express inspired. Thank you very much. Yo, are your in-laws those Taiwanese? I had an aunt that owned a motel. Like, do they own a motel? You straight up look like you're in a Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> It's this lamp. This lamp is screams Holiday Inn Express for sure. Yeah, for sure. That looks like a lamp I'd throw out a window at spring break. Like that's. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't help that there's a laminated card on the pillow that says, "Please put this on the bed if you want your sheets changed." Shame on you, Chris Yang. Shame. I am shame listen, on I, you. I am ashamed. But yeah. can we talk about this movie now? I don't know if we can. This next hour might just be shaming you. <laughs> I'm like sweating. It's uh, it's nine in the morning, and I'm sweating over here. But it holds up, right, Chris? The film holds up. It holds up like I, I watched it twice. Well, it's, it's interesting because, like, I wanted to talk to you guys, having seen this so many times. I was a little afraid, like you said, Chang. In the first ten minutes, I was like, "What the fuck did I just get into? This does not look okay." This Bruce Leroy. <laughs> the Bruce main character is Bruce Leroy. I was like, "Dude, what the fuck did we just walk into?" And, you know, his first mission is to go find some dumb goy. And I was like, I got to get out of here. I, I can't watch Bro, this. 
I had a clothing line. One of my first shirts I ever made was Bruce Leroy shirts and show enough shirts. Like I did, you know, those Che Guevara shirts that are live trace Che Guevara's like silhouette. I live trace show enough. No, come was, on. Like, that's this badass. is a seminal movie of my childhood. That's a, that's an amazing thing to hear, Eddie. And let me tell you how meaningful this movie is to me. Do you have a show enough tattoo? No, I wish. <laughs> my older brother and I, my older brother would uh, dunk my head in a bathtub to recreate the last scene of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Who's got the power now? Oh, my God. I do. We would recreate that all the time. I'd be like, and I'd shake my head with the water. Oh, my God. What what was it that you loved about the film? Like, as a kid, like, not talking as, like, woke people on a pot. Like, what was it that gripped you as a kid, like, when when you watched it? Well, let me tell you one. Truly, I was like, white people are the bad people in this movie. I mean, that's literally what I always remember. I was like, wait, the fucking main characters are not white. The yeah. villain is white. And the yeah. main characters are all other skin colors. They have every skin color for the most part. I don't see any Southeast Asian Indian people except for the background in New York City. But like to have black people with the exception of I'm going to get you sucker by Keenan Wayan, right? Which is a fucking classic. I had never seen like a movie that had a lead character not be a black exploitation film. And like, I was like, holy shit. And he's total homage to Chinese. And also just, it's a hodgepodge of all Asian culture, right? Because it's a little bit of everything. Japanese, Korean, And it's everything. very respectful. It's very respectful. respectful. Like the sufu and everything. Dude, it's crazy. And then just to see like Asian culture on a level where it wasn't about being bashed. It was being honored. I was like, fuck. Like, I was like, wait. That's why it was so meaningful to me. And to top it all off, we've already done a uh, podcast with Bao of you know, be water. I know you've you've mentioned you've talked about it as well, Eddie, the great documentary on, on Bruce Lee. Growing up as a kid. People shouldn't take this uh, as hyperbole. My only role model growing up in cinema was Bruce Lee. Yeah. And to see this movie basically pay homage to, in my opinion, the greatest, sexiest Asian man of all time. This was like, wait, what the fuck is going on here? This is Bizarro World. And then the name Bruce Leroy was too perfect. I was like, you'll feel like Bruce Leroy. And it was like bad, bad Leroy Brown. My dad would listen to all the time. I was like, is this about the last dragon? And he's like, what the fuck is the last dragon? But I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) I loved this film because it was black people having fun being Chinese. And that sounds super fucked up to say in 2020. But as a kid, I was like, yo, every time I see people doing like being Chinese or doing Chinese stuff in America, we look like so solemn and we look so like sad or like remorseful for being Chinese. And I was like, yo, these dudes are having mad fun doing Chinese shit. And I was like, this reminds me of my house because we had a lot of fun at home, but you never saw other Asians just like having fun mm-hmm. with the culture. And everyone in that film was having the best time. And then the villain, the guy, Eddie, was like the funniest, the funniest villain. Like that was everybody's parent from private school, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I think like having fun, Eddie, is like exactly, I mean, you take out the sociopathic villain and crime lord slash video game king, Eddie, and you just like want to live in this world. Like that movie theater, the opening, like early movie theater scene, you're like, I want to go to that movie theater. 
eating chopsticks yeah. with popcorn. I definitely did that. <laughs> the movie theater is one of my favorite scenes. I'm glad you brought it up because it is quintessential like Andy Warhol TV party New York. Totally. You know, like you look at that film, you're like, yo, this is that 80s shit that people talk about in New York. And it's not billed as that type of film, but it's all the DNA is New York. You know, that yeah, that's absolutely. what I love. It was a New York film. I actually, you know what? I actually got a phone call two years ago and an executive from Columbia called me and they were like, we're doing a remake of The Last Dragon. I was like, what? Shut the fuck up. I was like, what? I was like, that is the most slept on film from the 80s. He's like, yeah, the Gordy family, Columbia, we want to remake the film. And I actually got to pitch a version of The Last Dragon. I got to like the final meeting between me and one other person, very, very well-known director. The other director ended up getting it because I'd never directed before, but um, I don't think they have the script settled on. It's like stalled. The, the remake is stalled. But I actually rewrote a whole, I rewrote Last Dragon, like Last Dragon 2. Wait. What? Can you give us a little yeah. taste? Give us a tiny little snippet? Well, I, tur- I had pitched a like gentrification comedy. Right. Mm. And it's still about landlords. and Har- I mean, because black people are being pushed out of Harlem now, you know. And um, so it was a Harlem gentrification comedy. R.I.P. I'd like talk to Pop Smoke about it. I was like, yo, you would be the ill show enough Shogun of Harlem, you know. Oh, and uh, it was like around that time. And yeah, I think the project is stalled now. But I mean, like Pop's manager, Rico, like he was a huge show enough fan. It was funny because. I was talking to Pop about it. I'm like, bro, you, you'd be an amazing show enough. He's like, wait, what? The Last Dragon? And his manager's like, I cannot believe you haven't seen this film. Because like, <laughs> he's like our generation too. And it was crazy because the whole, we were on his bus. And the whole bus, everyone was like, yo, that was like the illest New York film. Like that and King of New York. Like we were talking about like the most important New York films. And it basically came down to like The Last Dragon and King of New York. That's crazy, Eddie. That's I wish that we could see that fucking version. That's absolutely amazing. I, I, I'm 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 dumbfounded that you were actually able to pitch that, That's and so it should sick. be remade. But maybe I like no. got to meet the Gordy family. I was like, Fuck. yo, I'm just like thankful to be here. Like this is the illest thing. Like this movie changed my life. You know, it really did. So, do we have to go with a synopsis? Is that even how do you do? How do you do that? Well, so here's the, I was trying to write something for it, and I was like. Every sentence that you try to write about this movie sounds insane. <laughs> Just like well, I feel anything. like the synopsis is basically there is a bad guy, a bully in the neighborhood, Shonuff, beating up people for video game Eddie in Harlem, like picking on people who can't protect themselves. There is Bruce Leroy who wants to defend Vanity, this girl that he loves, a singer, and the only way he can do it is by mastering the glow. And it's, it's like the same structure as every kung fu film. Yeah, so Shonuff is obsessed in that classic kung fu way with proving that he's, what does he say? He's he's trying to prove that he is the- I'm uh, the baddest. Who's the baddest? The meanest, prettiest, baddest mofo, no doubt around and in this town, which is relatable. And the goddamn costume. It is like yeah. semi-Japanese kamikaze type thing with the coolest sunglasses. Legion of Doom. Yeah, man. Like, and the football, yeah, definitely the football pad type thing to- um, the movie is simple enough, but complicated enough. Again, one of the reasons why my wife hated it so much is like, how many cultural references are in this? And I was born in 1988, so fuck this movie. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's unbelievable. But before we be, like get into it, I think like maybe the better way to talk about it is, number one, it's Barry Gordy. 
yeah. producing legend of music. It's a music film. Yeah. It's a music film. The soundtrack is fucking bananas. So yeah. good. So the whole movie is a music video, basically, right? Because Barry Gordy started Motown Records and it's like all of his yeah. songs in here. It's it's trapped in the closet before trapped in the closet exists. It's a feature but film. But this like is what movie, gets underappreciated. Video. All the fucking like movies of the 80s had soundtrack music. Like and it was actually pretty good, like Top Gun, Footloose, you know, yeah. Kenny Loggins. But this this was like the black version of Kenny Loggins. And all the music, even like the stuff that's usually bad in these movies, is really good. Like I Am the Last Dragon, both versions of it, but towards the end of the movie are unbelievable. Yeah. Many times played in the Momofuku And Vanity is a superstar. Vanity was an so absolute talented. fucking so superstar. So talented. I loved her. But also like DeBarge, like that was before DeBarge was like huge too when they yeah. did that. It was like it made in DeBarge in some ways. So that is a huge thing. It's like, you're right, Chris. It was one long music video. I mean that in like the most positive way. It's kind of like Barry Gordy. This is like a stroke of, if nothing else, like business genius. He's like, I can make yeah. a feature length just stage for Motown Records and... Like what you said, Dave, like the cultural references, every second of this movie is completely packed. <laughs> like there's not a second that it's not like visually, audio, whatever. It's just completely packed with stuff. Yeah, but I think nailing it as a music film and the way Dave's talking about it is it's very smart because, you know, in the 80s, it was like they were system films. So you had like Hasbro films, like Transformers. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Those films... They made more money selling action figures than maybe even on the film, or at least close, you know? And with a lot of these movies, it was like, yo, we own these artists. We own this music. We need something to put it into. I mean, they had the Run DMC movie, and then they had this movie. And I, I miss soundtrack films because you don't make as much money on soundtracks anymore. Before we go on, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. What if a quarterback completed four out of five of his passes, or a point guard hit four out of five shots behind the arc in front of virtual fans cheering him on? Well, now, when you're hiring, you can play at that level because four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. No matter the industry, healthcare to manufacturing to business services, ZipRecruiter makes hiring faster and easier. And today, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. ZipRecruiter doesn't wait for the right candidates to find you. ZipRecruiter's AI scouts talent for you. First, when you post your job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites. Then, ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right skills and experience, and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. And now, to try ZipRecruiter for free, my listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang, C-H-A-N-G. You can use it for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Today's show is also brought to you by OXO. For 30 years, OXO has designed products that make every day better for your home. Now they're making every day better for the planet, the home we share. OXO is now a proud member of 1% for the Planet, a global community of brands helping nonprofit organizations making a positive impact on the environment. 
OXO is committing 1% of their annual sales to nonprofits tackling environmental issues, including sustainable food systems, cleaner air, water and land, and environmental education. Find out more about OXO and 1% for the planet at oxooxo.com backslash one hyphen percent. That's oxo.com backslash one hyphen percent. That's oxo.com backslash one hyphen percent. I'm going to say that again because it's important that you check it out. It's amazing that they've committed the 1% to making our world a better place. And now back to the show. Second thing is the ensemble cast is just unbelievably good. Like the casting I mean, Eddie, you, you're the only one of us right now that actually made a movie. The casting is perfect. Yeah, and it, to find those people was very difficult at that time. I mean, starting off with Vanity, who I I loved. I mean, I was just like, what about her? I think that was the when I was like, wow, that's a... I don't know why I find her so attractive. Like, that was it when you're early on. Like, that woman is... Like, something's, like, crazy special about her. Not a surprise. She was like a prince protege. He always finds yeah. his amazing talents. She's also the only reason that Action Jackson is even a respectable movie to watch with Carl Weathers and the coach <laughs> from the TV show Coach. It's a terrible movie. <laughs> but she was the only reason why anybody watched that fucking movie Action Jackson was yeah. vanity. And it would be like if you cast like Snow Allegra in a film like this right now. Do you know what I mean? Like another Prince mm-hmm. Protégé. Like it would be it would be absolutely bananas. Like she Vanity like was like it girl, downtown it girl and like the way she like you know styled and everything and and even show enough style. I mean, like you know how after the last dance everyone's like, "Oh my god, all these kids got their style from Dennis Rodman." If you look at show enough, Booker T from WWF copied his style, Buster Rhymes, Deontay Wilder, like there's like a whole family tree of people who are just fashioned themselves after show enough. Show enough. Amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. But back to Vanny, her song in the movie is fantastic. Yeah. And she's really singing it. Yeah. What do you all think about Ty Mock, the eponymous last amazing. dragon? Like amazing. Because he's like sensitive too and he like captured the like kind of spirit of Eastern philosophy. And then the glow, people be like, yo, the glow's made up. And my mom like really practices Tai Chi stuff. And I'm like, yo, the glow is basically Tai Chi. Yep. You know, like there's everything in The Last Dragon is grounded in something real and like that that exists in either Chinese or black culture. I mean, what a crazy line that this movie toes. Like Tai Mok, The Last Dragon, walks around in like a rice paddy hat and, you know, yeah silk gi the entire time and the most handsome man in the movie is like the dorkiest dude (laughs) is so dorky the biggest nerd the running plot through the whole movie is that he like he has like the the sexual proficiency of a a child can you teach me the move but like he doesn't it doesn't come (laughs) off as i don't know it wasn't offensive right it didn't come off at any point as like disrespectful to kung fu that's like such a crazy careful line to toe but also as amazing as his character as Bruce Leroy is, the true genius, the the linchpin of this entire film, the yin to Timex Yang, <laughs> is his br- brother yes, Richie Green, who homie. we don't know is is he older or younger. I but think it doesn't matter. I figured <laughs> it. it I matter. think he's he has Benjamin Button disease because he is wise beyond his years, but he is you know four Richie feet Green. tall. Yeah. Rest in peace, Leo Leo Bryan. But man, that guy's the best. 
their dynamic is so much like the the brothers in the boondocks. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, one yeah, lives yeah, in yeah, a yeah. fantasy revolutionary world, and then the other one is like, bro, what are you fucking talking about? You know? <laughs> like totally- these dudes just fucking beat the shit out of me at the pizza shop. Yin Yang is exactly what it is. And, and the coolest and, yeah. part of the movie, again, another cool part that I practice with my older brother. <laughs> we have to buy rope and you have to tie me up tightly so I can practice how to break dance out of my rope. <laughs> yeah, Richie's, Richie's all tied up in ropes and he pop and locks his way out of it. It's pretty amazing. Uh, Could you get out, Dave? Did you figure out how to get out? I'd be like, can you loosen it up? This film's just crazy, too, because a lot of people outside the Northeast don't know it. But if you know it, it is literally, it, they're like, it's my favorite film. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not joking. Like, I lived by this movie, every scene, so much. You know, like, shoot me in the face. I'm going to bite the bullet. You know, like, everything <laughs> is so <laughs> instrumental in my life. And, and like, all the characters. Like, it's such an uh, amazingly casted film. You have fucking Keisha Knight. Pulliam, a uh, little Huxtable girl as the daughter of the Green family, too. People don't remember that. Hmm. You know, what's her, what was her name in the Cosby show? Rudy. Rudy. Rudy Huxtable. You have an amazing appearance of a very, very young William H. Macy. Yeah, as Laura Charles' manager. Yeah. You have maybe the best typecast minor role character of all time. If you're going to hire a bodyguard, you're going to hire that guy, Mike Starr, who's the bodyguard in the movie, who is also in Kevin Costner's The Bodyguard. (laughs) (laughs) That's a deep cut. Like, he's always the bodyguard in every movie he's ever been. (laughs) Oh, that? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Eddie's, Eddie Arcadian's tough guy. His main tough, you mean, is is this dude. Oh, yeah, that guy's main. And our Eddie Arcadian's girlfriend is so... Good. Like just the most obnoxious villain girlfriend. And also they're not like stereotypical. They're stereotypical roles and structures within the film, but they chose totally wacky choices Mm -hmm. in terms of characters, like the way to play them. You know, she's not like super fly. She's not like Elvira and Scarface. You know, she's like. She's got a Devo type of thing going on. Yeah. And I like her song as well. I'm crazy. Very good. I think think her song's very good. Her song about finding song. finding your dirty mags <laughs> under the bed is is a very very <laughs> underrated uh, hit. Can we talk for a second about the dialogue in this movie? The dialogue is fucking spectacular. And going back to Richie, the little brother, at one point the dialogue of the insults. At one point he's he's mad at Leroy Green, and he calls him. He goes, "You shrimp fried rice head," and I was like, <laughs> I was like, I would use that if it wasn't so painful to say. Like, that is just like a really, really cutting insult. I mean, you should tell, call your kid a shrimp fried rice head sometime. Like, if they get a seed, you fucking shrimp fried rice head. Yeah. Or when my kid is crying, I can say what, what Eddie says to his girlfriend when he goes, like, We don't want to look like a little piggy just peed in our eyes, do we? <laughs> like, holy shit, man. That's fucking, that's insane. The insults in this movie are crazy. Uh, they're yeah. amazing. I want to start using all of them. There's no canned phrases. Like, they created their own language for the film. No, there's no canned phrases at all. At all. Can we go to, again, there's a lot of moments, but this is maybe the most influential moment in the film is when he goes to some dumb goy and he tries to gain entrance and the Jive <laughs> Chinese brothers 
Holy yeah. fucking shit. <laughs> One of the greatest moments in cinematic history. And then when they're, they're speaking, you know, the stereotypical black dialogue, right? And then they flip the switch on Leroy, who's speaking like a Chinese person. And then one of the brothers <laughs> takes the rice hat, puts it on, and then speaks like a, a racist Asian person. And this it movie just has fucks layers. with you. It's so subversive. It's genius. I can't tell you enough how important. And actually, Eddie, in some ways, that scene embodies you and me. <laughs> yeah. This film, by not following any of the rules of like talking about race and politics, actually portrayed actual race dynamics and honored us. And I do not know any Asian person that's watching and be like, this is offensive. It's like, yo, this is amazing. Like, this is kind of how we make fun of each other. And that's the thing, like, when people will ask me who gets to tell which jokes and things like that, I'm always like, look, man, if you spend enough time with the community, if you tell jokes that the community can also laugh at, that is the test. Mm -hmm. Are you the only one laughing at the joke you're telling or are the people around you laughing harder than you? And if they're laughing harder because you've revealed and identified something that is common culture or a common experience, then you're good. And mm -hmm. The Last Dragon identified so many common feelings. I mean, I've never talked to Dave about this film and we both love it for all the yep. same reasons. Yep. Again, like going back to, again, the casting. It's so smart. And I hope that everything we're like talking about this movie was intentional. And if not, who gives a shit? Because it's what I take out of it. I love the casting. And again, like I'm not trying to be racist here at all, but I love that it was the first time you saw all the martial arts people were like stiff, almost like barbarian-like fighters compared to the elegance of martial arts or like the mixed culture that the black representation was showing in this film it was just like you're not part of this this is this is a whole nother world and you're a stone age you're in the stone ages dude yeah i just was like as a little little kid watching this that's something that was it was like burned into my psyche i was like wait there's another yeah. way to look at the world you keep bringing up casting and i keep not taking the bait because i'm thinking about other shit but i, I have to take the bait because this film what like on from an industry perspective to make a film like this is impossible. They never let a film through like this that takes chances, tells jokes you've never heard, does things that are quite unpredictable and you don't have like a rubric or rules for. And the casting, there's not a big star in this film. None of those people were stars before this film happened. It's primarily street casting. They probably did big casting calls to find Timac, you know? And uh, most of the time you write a script, the first thing they ask you is, all right, who are you casting? Who's the face on the poster that's going to bring people in to watch the movie? It's not even really about the script. It's like, who can play this? And this movie didn't have that. It's completely about the writing. And when you get to have a film that kind of breaks or ignores all the rules and then casts people that are actually good fits for the role as opposed to big names for the role, that's when you get a great film like this. And so my question for you is, why is it in the Bad Movie Club podcast? I was thinking we need to uh, change the name of the Bad Movie Club to like Chang's Basement Movie Club or no, something. No, no. The, the reason why it's called Bad Movie Club is to review movies that might be seen as bad by other people. Yes. And to talk about the values. And actually, it's a lot of what I do with my food. It's like, actually, is it bad or is it bad culturally or is it bad because it's just a bad movie? And that's what I like about this movie is I think that a lot of people, depending on your age when you were born, depending on your worldviews, 
you may hate this movie. You yeah. may just be like, I don't like this movie. And listen, my wife, I'm sure she just was trying to push my buttons in a loving way, but she didn't quite like it. Number one, it's like a martial arts flick. Two, it is a lot of packed with cultural pop references that you may not understand. Just because like, I don't understand Harry Potter. I don't, I'm a Star Wars person, right? Wait, you don't understand? Harry Potter is incredible. That can't be in the bad movie club. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not, not going to be a bad movie club, but that's part of it is like, why isn't this scene as like universally amazing? Yeah, I think it's because it's representing sub this film. I really relate to. And also, Dave, your food, like I like the way you do Momofuku. It really relates to it because we're not already farty about it. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. we both laugh at our stuff. Other people, I think, elevate it higher than we ever intended or wanted to be elevated. And The Last Dragon is a subcultural film. They, they would probably put it in a cult film section, but I call it a subcultural film representing like real life, like actual real life and actually the way people interact with each other. But because it's not anticipating criticism, and it's not creating like a force field around it and trying to be overly artistic or or anticipating bad Yelp reviews. People see it perhaps as a bad film or like, oh, you made mistakes. You didn't do it like other films. And it's like, that's not the point. This is a completely idiosyncratic singular film you'll never get again. And that's the thing I, I told them when we were doing the remake is I'm like, look, I would like to create, I would like to recreate the feeling that Last Dragon gave me and audiences around the world when it came out. But 80s camp, like Last Dragon, like you're never gonna get to make that film in 2020. You know, this it, it's a vintage you don't get back. And, and it's one of those rare movies where it's like, if you didn't get that vintage, you're never gonna get it again. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, Eddie. It's, it's a subcultural film. In our vocabulary, it's a bad movie. That's why we call it. It should be the subculture because it's film too club. confident. In, it's confident in itself. Like we want subculture films to be already farty and like you know exactly. And so you, I, I read like I read like the New York Times review that came out when this movie first came out, and the reviewer just like didn't get it. They were like, I, "What? This is pointless. It's, there's too many dumb things." But I think that the hallmark of a bad, like quote unquote, bad movie, as we're defining them, is that it spoke to you if you were in the subculture. It spoke to you in a deep way. If this was. If you were an Asian person, if you were a black person, if you were into Kung Fu, you know, if you were into Motown, it spoke to you. And if, if it didn't, that's because you weren't part of the subculture. So like that, yeah. that is like what under like lies underneath this whole thing. Like the other films that I think are in the category of The Last Dragon are Friday, mm -hmm. Half-Baked, Mall Rats, The Last Zohan. The Last Zohan! Zohan. Hummus? It's a fucking masterpiece. Hummus? Yeah. Yo, spraying hummus out of a fire extinguisher. Like, <laughs> yo, this is the most genius fucking film I've ever seen. And I was at a yeshiva school when it came out. And I was like, this, this is everything. Like, did I, I, the last Zohan is probably wait, wait, the most underrated film of all time. Remember the Zohan. What is it called? Oh, I thought, oh, wait. You don't, mess with, you don't mess with the Zohan. Don't you mess don't with mess. the Zohan. My bad. Don't mess with the Zohan. Zohan is so fucking good. And like Fizzy Bubbly, you know, like the Fizzy this Bubbly a, shit. I was like, oh this my is a God. prime candidate for the Bad Movie Club. 37% on Rotten Tomatoes. Fuck. Zohan. Fucking Zohan. That is, excellent, that is an excellent, <laughs> excellent pick for it. Yo, do we just sit around eating and watching the same shit, guys? Like, dude, I feel like that's weird. <laughs> well, last time we did a Bad Movie Club, <laughs> I said to Chang, I was like, 
sitting around with three Asian guys talking about martial arts movies is literally all I did when I was 12 also. Like, nothing has changed except there's a microphone now. Yeah. Except you're in a Holiday Express. (laughs) (laughs) I was in a Holiday Express then, too. We'll be right back after another quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon makes the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. Their mission is to make sure that all your basics and beyond are smartly designed with premium fabrics and shopping for them is easy and convenient. My wife knows I don't like shopping and when I do buy stuff, I wanna buy it in bulk and for me to never have to think about it ever again. And thank God that so much of what I wear, even before the pandemic, was Mack Weldon. It makes the shopping experience so easy because the website is incredibly intuitive, tells me what I want to buy pretty easily. And this is my uniform. Mack Weldon is my quarantine uniform. Can't recommend it enough. Mack Weldon even offers a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. They want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you can keep it and they'll still refund you. No questions asked. And I doubt that you will because they're an amazing pair. All Mack Weldon products are great for working out, going to work, going on dates, and just everyday life. That's me. The folks at Mack Weldon have even created their own totally free loyalty program called Weldon Blue. Level one gets you free shipping for life. And once you reach level two by spending $200, Mack Weldon will start giving you 20% off every order for the next year. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com slash Chang and enter promo code Chang, C-H-A-N-G. That's MacWeldon.com slash Chang and promo code Chang, C-H-A-N-G for 20% off your first order. And now, back to the show. Can we talk briefly about probably the coolest character? And like, it took me a while to realize one thing I was grateful for is Bruce Leroy's master, his sensei, wasn't a white dude in Asian makeup, right? Like Remo Williams, another great movie where, you know, his sensei is a white dude as an Asian person. This guy actually just is, looks like an old Asian dude. I've never seen him before. You can't even find his name in IMDb. It's like he's a ghost. <laughs> and first thing is first is like, I want his fucking apartment on the water. That's oh, the sickest is, fucking thing. His apartment is so sick. dope. I feel like there's a dark underbelly where he must have charged Leroy so much to be his master because he can afford a very nice apartment. <laughs> <laughs> can I bring up one other thing? Have you guys seen Hal Ashby shampoo? What? The, okay, it's it's an old Warren Beatty film, Hal Ashby Shampoo. I would love for you guys to watch it because it's critically acclaimed. It's given a lot of praise, as it should. It's one of my favorite oh, films shampoo, of all time. Shampoo, okay, shampoo. Okay, yeah, I have seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, basically, it's what it's like Hollywood subcultural. And it's like looking at a hairdresser. But because that film is Hollywood, because that film has Goldie Hawn and Warren Beatty, it gets all that critical praise. But I'm mm. like, that's the last dragon for white people. The hmm. shampoo. <laughs> you know what the last dragon for white uh, people shit. is? Office space. <laughs> Ooh, spicy. Spicy. Yeah. With the flair? Ooh. The ben- was it Bennigan's that she worked at? Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. I I, well, you know what? Bennigan's. That's a bad movie club, too. We should do it. 
It's a yeah, good one. that's an incredible, oof, incredible film. Life-defining yeah. movie for me too. Um, yeah, but like again, going back to the Yee Brothers, the fortune cookie thing, like that really art imitated life for me when I was trying to find who made the goddamn bow buns. I didn't even know the word bow. It was just like the steam buns. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And I would eat at Oriental Garden on Elizabeth Street all the time. And I would call him Uncle Choi, who's, who still owns it. And I would tell him, like, dude, I don't know how to make these. You have to, like, tell me how you make these. Please, I'll stage. I'll clean. I will be your dishwasher. You have to show me how you make these. I probably ate at that restaurant. And those that know me back in New York in those days know that I ate there so many times, not because it was is delicious, because I wanted to earn the right to learn how to make those goddamn buns. And he just got so fucking sick of me. He -hmm. just told me, he wrote it down, and he said, you go here. (laughs) And I go there, and it's a. it was exactly like the goddamn movie. I go in, and I'm like, this is a fucking machine-made thing. (laughs) Fidei, you know, I can't remember the name of the bakery. And I was like, Fada Bakery. Yeah, Fada Bakery. Fada Bakery. Like, legendary, important bakery. And it just, like, immediately opened like the idea, like, I don't know shit. Like, I know nothing about Chinese food. I need to go deeper into this. And it fucking flipped the switch in very similar ways of the Yee Brothers. And I mean, that moment of that movie was very instrumental in me because it was like, wait, I love this fucking Peking duck dish so much. I'm willing to fucking work for free, earn the recipe. And now this guy tells me, leave me the fuck alone, gives me a piece of paper, and it's like <laughs> I get it on a belt buckle like Last Dragon. And I, I go to Fada Bakery, and I start buying it. I'm like maybe like one of the first people to ever buy it in bulk like that. And I have to ask myself before I do that, is like, is this okay? Like this is a really important moment. I was like, is this okay for me to do? Because in my mind, like something delicious has to be made from scratch. You have to like really like do everything from scratch and that's my mindset (laughs) and then all of a sudden i'm like wait i was willing to fucking die for this recipe now it's given to me and who gives a shit it's made for me and sometimes it can be better so that was like the very early on i was like i'm just gonna merge whatever the fuck i need to merge to make something tasty all of that was inspired by this fucking movie pork buns were inspired by the last dragon really was and I'll tell you the other side that this it's because China and you know this, Chris, Chinese culture is littered with false gods, right? Mm-hmm. Like things our parents tell us so that we listen or we do certain mm-hmm. things. And the funny thing about Oriental Garden is it's a false god. It tells everyone this is pecking duck. It, they sell Cantonese roast duck and they put it in bao buns because like it's a little more rustic and it's bigger and it's more flavorful and it, it, it works in a bao bun. And then the other thing that was, is funny is they don't serve pecking duck. And even if they did serve pecking duck, they don't serve it with the right pancake, but they created a phenomenon and then it led to you. And then you made the bow, like the, you know, the biggest fucking hit in the world. And then I remember we've talked about it many times. I was like, motherfucker, I got to do the original one. But then because you were already using the fade out one, and then you guys also use the chime bun sometimes, right? Yeah. Because there were only, there are in America only two types of bao buns available outside of bakeries. And bakeries many times make bao buns that are like the wrong size, or mm. they just don't, the flavor doesn't fit. So I didn't like using from a bakery. So because you had already gone chime, I was like to rebrand myself, to make it look like I had different buns, 
I bought the Guanpo ones. And <laughs> people would be like, people would come into the store, but because I'm fucking Chinese, I, I've been playing this game my whole life. They come and be like, yo, I, I like your buns better. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's like higher gluten dough. It's higher gluten dough. And it's like, I wasn't fucking making these bows. <laughs> we were all buying them. And I had to buy the other one because you took the other one. <laughs> you took the Taiwanese, you took the Taiwanese one, so I had to buy the Singaporean one. <laughs> This is the most Chinese It's a cycle, ever. man. It's a cycle. Exactly. Like what you did, Eddie, was exactly what you described Oriental Garden was doing, right? You got to find your yeah. lane because somebody else is in the other one and you got to just, you got to own that lane and be like, no, nah, no, nah, it's because it's higher gluten and this is the right, this is the right buns. Yeah. And because they're Cantonese. Yeah. They're Cantonese. Yeah. So like, I just know how to make duck this way, but I'm going to tell these white people, this is fucking pecking duck. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's a, such a great story. And I, I just can't tell you enough how monumentally instrumental this movie was. I don't think there's pork buns on Momofuku. And if there's no pork buns on Momofuku, we're out of business in the first six months, for sure. Also, if you don't do it, I don't go do it because I like rice. I don't even fucking <laughs> like bread. <laughs> Without this movie, there's no bows, you know? Yeah, I, and I made, ba- yo, Dave, you're going to love this story. I made bows here. To, I did bow house in my house last week because I- I saw that, you know, I saw that. And my homies came and they're like, yo, this is for real the best bow I've had in Taiwan. And I was like, wow, no way. And they're like, but don't take it too serious. They're not very good here. (laughs) (laughs) They are. They're not. They're not that fucking good. Like all of us were like, we prefer it on rice. Like I always liked it better on rice. That's so funny. Like fucking rice. There's also that, that literal scene in the last dragon that speaks to this when, uh, you know, Leroy and Richie's father has a pizza shop and he says, Look at me. Like nobody wanted, nobody thought a black man should open a pizza shop. And now everybody knows our slogan across the whole city. Like he, like, <laughs> I mean, that's, there's so much going on in this movie. And, and if you haven't seen this and you're listening to this, you're like, what the fuck? I mean, my dad owned a steakhouse at the time. Yeah. So it was like, I loved seeing that shit. It was like, all right, black man owned pizza, Chinese man owned steak. I think that's like that runs in Chang's family too, man. Just like going into whatever lane is available to you. You know what yeah. I mean? Chang, do you like rice or bao? <laughs> I mean, I, listen, I like, of course, rice. I mean, just look at my son. All he eats is fucking rice. But <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Like, it's crazy how much rice my son eats. Um, I've grown to truly appreciate bread in all Asian culture for this reason alone. It's exactly like, again, this movie. It is a fuck you to anyone that thinks that Chinese or Asian culture is rice culture. Mm. That there is yeasted bread all throughout Asia. And that's why I'm a huge proponent of it because it's a fuck you. Don't ever typecast the cuisine of Asia as one thing. It is much more diverse. And that's why I joke. It's like, you know, bread was invented in Asia. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> Wait, I, it is? Who knows? We should start telling people. Just we should like, start telling people I, that. I do. I mean, that's why like, it just, especially when, you, when I went to Beijing for the first time, actually like six months before SARS. I was blown away at the bread. I was, it was a monumental moment for me because it was like, oh my God, this is fucking with my entire understanding of Asian food, Chinese food. I thought it was rice noodle culture. I was like, no, Northern Chinese is so bread driven Mm -hmm. because of the, they have less rice patties and more wheat fields. And I'm like, well, again, early on, I'm like, oh, good food is what you can make with what's around you. And that's why you see either it's yeasted bread or pancakes you know, like basically 
the equivalent of like a flour tortilla. Like all of these things were instrumental in my life. We opened up Sambar because of that. It was like, a, again, a huge impression on me. And another reason why later on the past sort of three, four years, it was all about doing Bing bread or bang because I don't want the world to know that bread is only a Western invention. Yeah. Flatbreads, you know, breads were evolved over two ways. One, because of the type of oven. One, literally an oven that most Western people know or a, an oven that you stick bread on the side like a tandoor oven Tandori. or underground yeah. oven. And like, you know what? Like all of it is fucking awesome. So you can't tell yeah. me one is better than the other. It's just very different. And that's why I was a bread person. I still am a bread person, even though privately I love rice. Everyone knows rice is great. <laughs> privately, I love yeah. rice. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I honestly, if you give me, even if it's Zingerman's bread, if you give me Zingerman's bread on a table and rice, I'm just eating rice. <laughs> I just fucking love rice. And But what's funny is even when Asian people make bread, we don't use the oven. It's like steamed. You're still, your sneakers are in the oven. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like difficulty level on Asian breads is so much higher just in general. There's no bow trend during quarantine. Do you guys ever do bad restaurant club? Oh, that's a good one. Well, we I like to call it the best club. mediocre restaurant. Yeah. Or the, like the Cheesecake Factory episode, you know? <laughs> well, the problem, the problem, I have thought about doing this, Eddie, because I have a lot of them specifically in New York City that I would like to promote. And I have, right? Like, um, Greenwich Grill in Tribeca was one of those like bad movie club restaurants. Fucking amazing. Yeah. But again, most people would be like, I don't know why you like it. I was like, name me a restaurant that's Japanese and Italian that's not pasta pasta, but like awesome. And it yeah. alienates some people, but it's a it's a great restaurant, but they do like five things really well. And that's what you want is one or two things that will never, ever disappoint you. And I don't like saying that because it might hurt the owner thinking that like, and I'm, I'm saying Greenwich Grove because they're out of business and there's like a sake shop in there now. Because, you know, you no one wants to be told, wait, I'm a one-trick pony. Mm -hmm. So that's why I yeah. don't like doing them. But see, like, I think about, when I think about this movie, I think about Mr. Chow's, right? And people are always, especially like white people that have been into Asian food since Andy Ricker got into it. You know what I mean? They're like, yo, fuck Mr. Chow's. I'm like, what are you talking about? Mr. Chow's is delicious. Like, you don't like, like, who doesn't like crispy beef? No one puts crispy beef in their mouth and is like, that's not delicious. I Like, everyone wants that beef in their mouth. Right. They put it in their mouth, they're like, that's not cool. Yeah. Mr. Chow's is, is like a real good, bad restaurant club. And again, specifically for this, I have to give a shout out to Mr. Chow, not just because of who he was. His life is extraordinary, right? Extraordinary, yeah. right? That dude married Grace Connington, for fuck's sake. Like, insane. Um, his art's crazy. I know his son, Like, I love Chow's. The fact that he invented his version of a chicken satay. Let me tell you what it is. I think it's $23 for two pieces, which is effectively half of one chicken breast. <laughs> With peanut mayonnaise sauce on it that was like whipped together from a can with condensed milk. Yeah. I love it. Like the fact that it's delicious, I even love it more because he's just ripping people off. I love it. <laughs> it's like he's the first person to freebase chicken. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. you made it in rock form. Like you fucking genius. Yeah. It's brilliant. Like that. And like you can hate that all you want, but you eat it and you're like, that's, that's fucking genius. Like, that's some Andy Warhol type of shit. It really is. You're like, that guy yeah. just literally opened a package, chopped up a chicken breast, 
into four or six slices, stuck it with a skewer, broiled it, and put it on a silver platter with peanut condensed milk sauce. And everyone's like, this is the best thing I've ever had in my life. And also, you can go on a date and not get yelled at for, like, eating General Tso's chicken with a bottle of champagne. Because I, I collect champagne. I'll order Chinese fast food from, like, Hualong on Fulton Street, drink champagne, eat Chinese food. People are like, you're fucking insane. I'm like, dude, Chinese food is the perfect food for drinking exquisite champagne. It's, it's absolutely fucking perfect. It's better than cheese. I don't want to eat cheese. It is so far from catching on in America. Chang and I talk about this all the time, but like wine and Chinese food, it seems like there's a racist thing happening. There's a cultural roadblock. There's just like a mental block for people that can't associate Chinese food, one of the most sort of like sophisticated cuisines on earth, even in that General So's form with drinking I would nice pop wine. 96 Dom and drink General So's chicken with shrimp fried rice. I mean, eat General That's So's not, chicken with shrimp fried rice. sounds incredibly delicious. Like, <laughs> Yeah, seriously, who's not having sex with me if that's the date? <laughs> oh, shit. Eddie's got the moves, the moves that, that Leroy's looking for. It's the go-to, you know? Um, any parting thoughts on, on this movie, guys? Any last scenes you want to talk about before we uh I think we, the close last the book parting on scene is, is exactly how we just talked about it. I mean, it's beautiful what we just did. We, the past 20 minutes, we weren't even talking about the movie. And I mean this, like, I want everyone to watch this. I mean that so sincerely because it's an incredibly important movie and it's a time capsule. But also, we talked 20 minutes about Bad Movie Club that have nothing to do with this movie because it shows you how powerful this movie is. It has invaded in positive ways all aspects of my life and Eddie's life and now I hope Chris King's life. And if you haven't watched this movie, I want you to realize, like, wait... This movie connects the dots for me in ways that I didn't understand because it's that fucking good. And if yeah. you don't like it, I want you to know, ask yourself, why didn't you like it? Yeah, that's a good point, Chang. Maybe you're going to watch this and you're not going to like it. But I think the takeaway, what you guys have been talking about this whole time, and, and Eddie, you brought up, is just like, you got to see that there's other people who appreciate things. And just because you don't, that's your opinion and maybe speaks to your experience more than others. There's so much nuance in this movie. Exactly. Like in 2020 world, I guarantee you, would you what would you the percentage of you say if you saw the first 10 minutes, right? And you only saw 10 minutes and you put it free for the world to see, Twitter sphere would be like, this is racist, racist trope bullshit. Yeah, they Fuck never this. would make it for the, they, you wouldn't make it past the first 10 minutes. You yeah. just get on Twitter and just be talking shit, you know? I would tell people, don't tell me why you don't like Last Dragon but tell me what it says about you if you don't like Amen it. Amen to that. Amen. Yeah. 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 That's what John F. Kennedy said. It's such a subversive <laughs> film. It's such a subversive <laughs> film, and it's full of nuance. And the legacy it's had, that's what I would say is, just Eddie and I shooting the shit, we've discovered the legacy. Like, think about, I didn't even think about even the fashion element from show enough, right? Uh, unbelievable. This movie is iconic, it's genius, it's subversive, it's everything I like about movies. And the fact that it's not seen as like in the canon of like brilliant fucking films by the masses is why it's a bad movie club. Yeah. The only thing that, that my closing thought would be, I wish people could see Chris's disappointed face the last hour where he's like, I can't believe I just saw this two days ago. <laughs> my childhood would have been different. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha 
Well, that was our conversation, our bad movie review with Eddie Huang on the classic, bad movie review classic, dare I say, the best bad movie of all time, The Last Dragon. <laughs> I hope you watch it. Give us five stars, however you rate this podcast. Stay tuned for another podcast soon. What, do you, what say you, Chris? What are your feelings? Best movie ever? <laughs> it was incredible. I, I do feel a, a tremendous amount of shame having not seen this before. I also feel like Chang, we're really we're figuring out what a bad movie is now. Yeah, like that was really helpful to understand what the fuck we were talking about when we say a bad movie club. Why? So, why is it bad to some people, but great to that's people exactly like us? it. And relating right. it to the food thing is amazing. It's exactly that. Like, why is that bad? Why is General So's bad? Dude, this movie had such a it changed my fucking life. It literally was the reason why I decided to be like, no, nah, I'm I'm gonna get over my stupid fucking like I gotta be a fucking badass chef. And just merge the low with the high. Well, that story you told in the pod about kind of trying to find the bowel for your your pork buns, you know, I didn't know that story of yours. But, like, as I was watching it, I was watching, you know, Leroy going, trying to find this some dumb goy cookie shop and, and sort of venturing through Chinatown or whatever. I thought of you trying to figure out, get somebody to make alkaline noodles in the early days of Noodle Bar. And the brothers were the fucking same. Like, <laughs> this movie really resonates continually for me, so... You know, I hope that there's another Last Dragon 2, and I'd love to see it. And we didn't talk about Ernie Rees enough, who was this little martial arts prodigy. Shows up again in the Ninja Turtles movie. And had his own series on a network television, Sidekicks. I think it was with Chuck oh, Norris. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which was, again, monumentally important in my life. God damn. Here's a little Let's kid that had his own show. So um, Let's get him on Ernie Reyes Jr. Ernie Reyes Jr. All right, guys. Thanks, Chris. 